Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September 25th, 2019. This is episode 2517 of the Survival Podcast. And I have one of my favorite people coming back to the show, Dr. Ken Berry. We're going to be talking about ketogenic living. This guy has been living that way for quite a long time. Notice I said ketogenic living, not a ketogenic diet, though that is kind of what we're talking about today. Uh, Dr. Berry has been uh, illustrious in his spreading of this message to the point where his YouTube channel has now 738,000 subscribers and had over 34 million views, and I'm certainly part of that viewer count. I've watched a lot of his videos, and I agree with 99.9% of what comes out of his mouth. You're going to hear a really great conversation between us today. We've already done it as I do this intro segment, and we talk about a lot of stuff today. It is a little bit longer of an interview, going about an hour and 20 minutes, but we cover a lot of ground, and uh, we investigate a lot of things. And We even have a nice little spirited debate goes on about 10 minutes on the question, do calories matter? And we both end up coming down saying, I still believe what I believe at the beginning of this conversation, though I did get some concessions and a promise to send me some more research and if you're wondering what side of that debate i'm on and you don't know you'll find out when we get there before we do that let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day sponsor of the day number one today is butcher box and one thing ken and i agree on is you should be eating high quality meat lots of it and the place i get a lot of my high quality meat from is butcher box pastured pork pastured poultry and grass-fed beef all available at butcher box they're the only sponsor that i accept payment in the form of product from yeah, instead of sending me a check every month or paying me by PayPal or something like that, they send me a box of meat. You know, if I'm taking product as payment, I believe in the product. I believe in ButcherBox and the quality. I'm an asshole. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. When it comes to, to, to my meat selections, my wife won't even pick out a cut of meat. She's like, no, I'm going to be wrong. Like, I Look, no, not that one. Yeah, that, that right there. I want that piece. And I'm always happy with the selection sent to me every month in my butcher box. It's always in really good shape, too. Frozen solid when it shows up through the miracle of good insulation and dry ice. Check them out today. And remember, uh, they give you $10 a month off. If you're an MSB member, that's $120 a year on your $50 MSB membership. That's a hell of a return right there alone. Check them out today at butcherbox.com. Next up... Another thing, Ken, what I would agree upon, you better be drinking high-quality water without toxins in it. And I'm just going to tell you, if you're drinking city water, it's not going to kill you, but that doesn't mean there's nothing in it that's toxic. And you know when they have those boil water advisories, like uh, you should really boil your water for the next week until we tell you otherwise? That, that almost, not always, but almost always happens after someone gets sick, which means you've been drinking the water long before they told you to boil it. I'm just saying, and bottled water is expensive, and it's stupid to pay for bottled water. Your Berkey system, if you look at it, a cost per bottle of bottled water will pay for itself in a few weeks. And you'll be drinking better water at that. Check them out at Ber uh, directive21.com is the website of the Berkey guy. And, guys, I'm on a well. I don't have municipalities messing up, but I put my water through a Berkey. And you should, too, because, well, I get my well tasted, tested about once a year. What about the other 11 point, you know, nine months in between tests? 
I don't know, but I know that I'm drinking good quality water because I'm drinking water that goes through a Berkey that I got from Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Uh, that brings us, before we uh, introduce our special guest, to our quote of the day. And I cannot find this quote online. But I know it's a thing. I heard it many, many years ago. I think it was by in a book by either Harvey McKay or Zig Ziglar, but it wasn't them. They were quoting somebody else. Might have even been they were quoting like Charlie Chaplin or something. I don't know. But it's an old quote, and unless I'm getting it really, really wrong, I can't find it online, but I do like it. The quote is, The secret to life is being able to make a fool out of yourself gracefully. See, I think that's brilliant because we are all going to mess up. We are all going to be wrong. We're all going to slip and fall, metaphorically or actually. We're all going to do some dumb stuff. The way I put it, my, my friend uh, David is real fond of using the term window licker. And uh, there are people that are perpetual window lickers, you know, But he also admits that all of us occasionally have a brain fart and lick a little bit of a window, sometimes get a little bit of a Windex overdose. And so we're all going to have those moments. But can we do so in a way that makes others laugh not just at us but with us and have a good time in our own screw-up? If we can do that, we're going to have a pretty great life. So I just thought I'd lead off with that quote for you guys today. All right, folks, and with that, it, uh, it's my good pleasure to welcome back uh, Dr. Ken Berry. Uh, today we're going to be talking mostly about uh, the ketogenic diet, which is something that I've been uh, working with for about 40 days now, heavily, have had great results. Ken has been doing this for a hell of a lot longer than me. He's built an incredible YouTube channel with like three-quarters of a freaking million subscribers, And uh, it's the main thing that he's been talking about there. I also want to make sure we do get a, a plug-in for his book, Lies My Doctor Told Me. That's something you're going to want to pick up if you didn't pick it up the last time he was on the air. And with that, hey, Ken, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack. Thanks so much for having me back. Hey, man, I'm glad to have you back. Um, I've been uh, going through a lot of research with keto recently, and it led me back to you. Uh, so uh, I, I extended the invitation. You're good enough to come on. Uh, before we dig into keto, though, specifically, can you just give people, you are an MD. I, I don't think you actually practice anymore. Um, you decided not to for whatever reason, I guess maybe because of how much you're doing with traveling and lecturing. Um, but you come from a, a absolute classically trained medical doctor background. And how did that lead you into the world that we can only describe right now, unfortunately, as alternative health? I hope that in the future it will become health. But how do you go from that to where you are today? So I was classically trained at a state university, University of Tennessee, in allopathic medicine. And uh, for the first few years of my medical practice, that's how I practiced. And so if you came to me with high cholesterol, I put you on Zocor or Lipitor. If you were overweight, I told you to eat less and move more, join the gym, join Weight Watchers. And I went home every night with a feeling of, you know, job well done until about 35 years of age. For me, I started to gain weight and I'd always been a very slender athletic guy, started to gain weight, started to become pre-diabetic, started to have just severe chronic stiffness, pain, reflux, all the things. And so I thought, well, I must not be following my own advice because obviously I know everything because I'm a damn doctor, right? And so I, I, I started following my advice that I gave 
patients just down to the letter of the law. And I kept getting fatter and I kept getting sicker and I kept getting more inflamed. And so that was kind of the, the epiphany for me that, uh, dude, you may not know what you're talking about. And I'm a lot like Jack Spierko. I like to know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so I went back to the drawing board and I got out all my old nutrition notes and I, I started reading outside of traditional medicine. I started reading books like the paleo diet and the primal blueprint and uh, the Atkins diet. And although they're, they, they didn't seem to be, be very scientific in nature, when I really started digging down deep into this topic, Jack, I kept finding research studies. And there were actually research studies done back in the 50s, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, that show that animal fats do not increase your risk of heart attack and stroke or any other medical problem. And they were control trials. They weren't just observational studies. These were where people were locked in hospital wards and psychiatric wards. And when they replaced their animal fats with vegetable fats, they didn't get any healthier. And in, in many cases, they got more healthy. And that research just wasn't published because back then it was very, very fashionable to say that eating saturated fat, eating animal fat was bad for you and cause a heart attack. And so I started to apply some of these things. I started to actually eat more saturated fat. I got grains of all types out of my diet. I got sugar of all types, whether it was from a banana or from a jelly donut out of my diet. I got rid of all the industrial seed oils like canola, soybean, all that kind of crap, and started focusing on if I was going to eat some oil or fat, it was going to be animal fat. It was going to, and at worst, it was going to be avocado, coconut, olive, something like that. But I was going to avoid all of the seed oils that come from a factory. And I immediately started to lose fat. I immediately, and in my worst, Jack, I was 297 pounds and had an A1C of 6.1. Okay. So I was firmly pre-diabetic and morbidly obese, had knee pain every day, had fatigue every day. The couch was the best looking thing in my house. And so as soon as I got home, that's what I wanted to get on. You see my, where I'm going with that? Yeah. Just everything. I, I was an old man at 35, 36. And, and so it, it, immediately as I started to remove what I now consider to be slow poison <laughs> from my diet, my health started to improve. And I started to lose fat. And I started to actually, actually naturally put on muscle. I started to, to, for my testosterone level to naturally start to go back to normal. All of the inflammation from the dandruff to the heartburn to the, the rosacea, all that stuff just kind of got better and better and better until now it, it seemingly has went completely away. And so at that point I started to recommend this to my most morbidly obese patient, people who had over a hundred pounds to lose. Because back then I considered keto a weight loss diet. I didn't really mm -hmm. realize that it now what I realize is that whether it's it's veg heavy keto or a carnivore or anywhere in between, that is the proper human diet that we're all supposed to eat. And so I, I had my most morbidly obese patients try this, and immediately they started to lose fat, and they started to feel better. And their severe knee stiffness and pain from what I considered to be um, arthritis from just being, you know, so overweight just started to go away. And it's like, wow, maybe maybe I'm really on to something here. But, you know, you always, as, as an autodidact, you think, well, maybe I got something wrong. Maybe I'm not understanding this right. And so I just kept digging deeper and deeper into the research and applying it to my health first and foremost. I was kind of the guinea pig. 
But then I would apply it to my most sickest patients who really, you know, were beyond all help. The only thing left was type 2 diabetes, full on metabolic yeah, syndrome. Right, the whole, right. Like the, the, the lab report says put them on statins. All exactly. That, put right. them on insulin, put them yeah. on statins and, and have them go see a bariatric surgeon because they, they need some of their guts cut out because obviously they're a gluttonous sloth. They just want to lay around and eat all the time. Mm. And that's another thing that really triggers me is that modern medicine blames it on the patient. We don't blame it on our ignorant medical advice. We blame it on the patient. And so not only are you, a, you know, a, a morbidly obese, a, a diabetic, but you also got to get to take home some guilt after you talk to your doctor as if it's your fault. But the problem is, is the diet we recommend, most doctors recommend, will make you fatter. The, the diet that most <laughs> doctors recommend will make you more diabetic, not less. So, and so, so it, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, so I, I kind of, like, as an aside here, I want to get your take on this. So I've, I, again, I've been doing as much research as I can on this. I've always been a fan of low carb. I, as I, as I decided I needed to do something about my own weight problem where I was near 250 pounds and about 34% body fat. Uh, by the way, 45 days of doing this, I am down over 23 pounds and have reduced down to 26% body fat. That's nice. in 45 days. So anybody that says it doesn't work, it's really hard for me to, entertain even yeah. discussing it with them if that's where you're coming from it just doesn't work okay well when you decide to look at reality we'll talk but i one of the things i watched was a uh, and i really didn't like the way it was done a guy from the uk uh some reporter he, you know he does a million different things and he, he goes on a basically just uh high fat high protein diet um no or high fat moderate protein sort of keto diet uh for three weeks and he lost some weight And he lost some inches, but he I mean it wasn't anything like you talk about or I talk about actually doing. It was you know ridiculous where the guy was like eating four pounds of pork cracklings and stuff like that, and he still lost weight. And yep. what what really struck me was there were two doctors featured in this little you know twenty five minute made for TV documentary, like a sixty minutes type thing, uh, whatever they call it in the UK, and both of them were very. Like, oh, boy, you better not do this, what what have you. And then when he came back and they looked at not only his cholesterol, the bad cholesterol going down, the good cholesterol coming up, the weight coming down, having lost several inches on his stomach, they still said, well, I don't have enough data <laughs> to make an mm -hmm. accurate, right? And then this was the this was the supreme irony. Both of these doctors were not just overweight. They were visibly obese, Yes. Recommend, and they were both clearly in about their 40s to 50s. It was a female and a male, both visibly obese, sitting down and only visible from like, you know, they make you look as good as they can on camera. And here they are recommending against this and saying you should eat the way that I do while they're fat. And what it brings me to, <laughs> right. and, and I would look, because you're a doctor, so I'd love your thought on this. And I, I have never heard anybody explain it this way before other than myself. We should be teaching doctors, and instead we're training doctors. And the difference between teaching and training is as follows. I can train anything. I can train a tree. I can train a slime mold. I can train a dog. Yep. To train an yep. organism is to condition it where it cannot respond differently than its training. To educate, to teach, means to teach something, whether it be a dog or a person, so that it can interpret and extrapolate and make its own decisions. And I believe our biggest yep. problem is that we are training physicians instead of teaching them now, and they literally, like, you have the evidence in front of you. You can show them study after study. They're fat, and they cannot behave differently. I totally agree, and it goes back to the parable of teach a man to fish. Instead of giving him a fish, 
Because if you just give him a fish every day, you train him to come to you and beg for a fish. But if you teach him to fish, then you don't have to see him again. He's off doing his own thing. And I think one of the biggest mistakes a patient can take, do, or make is to take nutrition advice from a fat doctor. That's exactly <laughs> like taking car advice from a mechanic who has 15 junkers parked in his front yard yeah. and his car won't start, but you're going to ask him for mechanic advice. That's a bad plan. And, and it's ex- equally as bad to ask a fat doctor for nutrition advice. You're not going to get anything that's going to help you because if that doctor had been taught properly and was thinking both inside and outside the box thinking that doctor wouldn't be fat. And I'm, I defy anyone. And that may trigger someone and upset someone. And I apologize in advance if my, if my truth offends you. But you, you don't take advice from someone who doesn't know what they're talking about on that particular subject. Correct. I, my, one of my laws of life is never take advice from anybody unless they, they're doing better than you at the thing they're giving you advice at. Right? Exactly. It's just, it's just going, you're going in reverse then. So let's talk about safety. Like Whenever you tell somebody keto, oh, it's the same thing those doctors said. Oh, oh you're going to blow your heart up. You know, you're going to clog right. your arteries. Uh, you're going to dehydrate. You're going to go into ketosis and die uh, as though ketosis and ketoacidosis are the same thing. So what is the safety and what is the track record of safety of people doing a ketogenic diet? So the safety of eating a real whole food ketogenic diet is really unquestionable. Um, the, before I make any YouTube video, before I make any Facebook post or Instagram post, before I talk to any patient, and I, I'm still in active practice. I had a, my, my clinic burned down. And so I've moved from my little small town to Nashville, and I'm in the process of getting a, a practice up and running here. So I'm still actively practicing. But every time I start to say something to a patient, either virtually or in face-to-face, I consider three things. First and foremost is the ancestral appropriateness of it. What have humans done? We've been on this this planet as Homo sapiens sapiens for about a quarter of a million years, give or take. So that's number one. What have we done for the majority of that time? And obviously we flourished and we reproduced or we wouldn't be here. We'd be extinct. Secondly, What's the common sense of this? Is it does it make is it good common sense to say, you know, even though 100 years ago everybody ate as much fat as they could get their hands on, now fat is somehow magically bad for us. Does that make good sense? Is that just country sense or is, it, is that weird? Thirdly, then I look at the meaningful research. And I don't look at observational studies that were actually not blinded and not controlled and were actually done by vegans. I, I don't look at that research because they're going to tell you to eat a lot of whole grains of fruit. Duh. But that's not that's not even meaningful research. I'm looking for control trials. I'm looking for trials where the researchers were blinded. And I take all those three things, the ancestral appropriateness, the common sense, and the meaningful research, put that all together, then I make a video or then I talk to a patient. And so when you say, okay, uh, 100,000 years ago, what did the average human who lived in the U.S. or Canada or Norway or, or Northern Europe, what did they eat for the majority of days of the year? They ate as much fatty meat as they could get their hands on, and they'll, they ate a little bit of veg. They ate some berries if they were in season. What is that, a week or two that you could get some berries in Northern Europe? For the rest of their time on this planet, and I'm not talking about uh, a two-week diet. I'm talking about their entire life. They ate as much fatty meat as they could kill. 
And then they would eat. And definitely if they were starving to death, they would eat some grass seeds. They would eat some grass. They would eat some dirt. They would be digging around in the dirt for tubers and stuff. But if they had their choice, they always ate the fattiest part of animals first. That's what we've done for 99.999% of our time on this planet. And so now, starting with Ansel Keys in the 50s and 60s, it's been a fad. It's been a silly superstition for the last 50 years that somehow saturated fat from animals is bad for us. You know, you, and so when you look when you look at that big picture, you can see just how foolish that advice is. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I think one of the things people need to get their head around too is people think as wild game as lean meat. Well, let's look at the Native Americans that lived here in North America, right. just as an example. Okay, now you can either take your little stick and bow with a little point on it and, a, and your your spear, and you can chase. 150-pound white-tailed deer through the woods that can smell you from 400 yards away, <laughs> or you can go out, and, and people don't understand this, there were elk and buffalo from the yes. east coast to the west coast before we screwed that up, okay? Or yep. you can go out in the middle of a field with a bunch of big, dumb, wild cows that feed on grass that when you approach them, the biggest and strongest of the herd as a defensive mechanism will come to the front of the herd and stand there and look at you. Yep. Which one of those are you going to put more effort into killing? Okay, now let me take it further because I want to hear your thoughts on this whole thing. Now, I've killed a giant bison, right? 2,000 pounds of flesh and organ lies in front of me. I have my little village of, you know, uh, 40 or 50 because that's about the size of the average group that would have been traveling around. Right. That's a lot of right. food. Okay, I've got fat and organ meat that will be rancid and no good in two weeks, and I've got meat that I have four different ways I can preserve. Which will I eat first? And oh, then, yeah. which, what am I going to do with the tallow? And that's one of my ways of preserving meat. So, when you look at that, this whole wild game is lean argument, just, to me, is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Then you go to the yeah. West Coast, and the Northwest, and the Northeast with salmon runs. you got fatty fish. I mean... When I look at what just one group or one, you know, one segment, I guess, because there's 20, 30, 40, 50 tribes in there, of, of, of American uh, natives ate, all I see is fat from blubber uh, in, the, in, the, in the Inuit all the way up in, in what's now today Alaska, British Columbia, et cetera, all the way down to the southeast where there were elk and buffalo in Georgia and Florida. Absolutely. And that's that's a key topic that many, many people don't understand when they think when you talk about hunting wild game, they're thinking about rabbits and squirrels <laughs> and they're thinking about the lean little white tailed deer that's yeah. on the verge of starvation at any given moment. Uh, those things are much preferable to starving to death. And I'm sure we ate those every opportunity we got. But if we had our choice and this is not just mine and Jack's opinion, no. First of all, it makes common sense. Your question, duh, of course you're going to eat all the fat and the organs first because they are the most nutrient-dense part of that animal, and they're going to go bad. You can't really preserve them. So, duh, yeah, we're going to eat that first. But here's the thing, Jack. There is copious amounts of anthropological evidence that that's exactly what we did. You can go back and you can, you can carbon and nitrogen isotope date the bones of our ancestors. And you can do this for somebody who died last week, or you can do this for somebody who died 45,000 years ago. And you can tell by the nitrogen and the carbon isotopes in their bones and in their other tissues, 
exactly what proportion of their diet was meat and what proportion was veg. They're, I mean, this, and so this is not even debatable. This is settled science. When, and when you go and look at that, it, it, without exception, and we got to go back in time more than 15,000 years because that's about the time we started to cultivate grain and eat lots of that kind of stuff. Before then, everybody ate as much fatty meat as they could get their hands on. And there are some many populations back then that we would have to call them hyper carnivores because the nitrogen in their bones is actually higher than the nitrogen in bones of things like Arctic foxes. Hmm. So you think of a fox as being a 100% carnivore. Yeah. We were actually eating carnivores. And so we were we were uh, magnifying the nitrogen even more by eating the nitrogen eaters. And so, yeah, we, the, there's, I mean, anthropology is replete with stories that that's how we migrated around the world was chasing these huge herds of these huge fatty mammals. And many of them we hunted to extinction. And, and, you know, the buffalo is just one example of the, of an animal we almost hunted to extinction. And then the white man, you know, added his idiocy to it of trying to, to run the red man out by killing all the buffalo. But that's, ex- you're exactly right. We ate as much fatty meat as we could get our hands on. We ate the organ meat and we would preserve the lean meat. What lean meat we didn't give to the dogs, we would preserve that for hard times so that during the winter we wouldn't have to resort to eating grass seeds and eating grass and eating tubers that were so tough that they would break your tooth when you tried to chew them we'd make biltong and other stuff like that because that's what we did and anthropology also shows us almost without argument that that's why we developed this huge human brain that we have is because we ate all that fatty meat well there was no doctors running around sticking people with needles and taking cholesterol measurements but if you listen to modern medicine they would say well You say whatever you want about what they ate, but if they really ate that, they almost had cholesterol through the roof, and we must have had Neanderthal mans and Cro-Magnon man just falling over and dying of heart attacks left and right, right? Yeah, and that's that's what a lot of people who are, are ignorant on the subject will say. The there's a the great example in the past of eating the diet that modern medicine tells us we should eat, which is a, a diet filled with whole grains and filled with fruit, and not eating a lot of of sugar. Just, you know, just, just sugary sweets and stuff. There is a, a civilization that did that, Jack. They were the Egyptians. Mm. And when you go back and, and they lived on grains and fruits and they didn't have any candy bars. They didn't have any, uh, Coca-Cola. They just ate lots of grains, lots of grains. They were known as the bread people by other cultures because they ate so much whole wheat grain. And you can't say it wasn't whole wheat. It was definitely it was whole, whole wheat, wheat as you're going to get. <laughs> That's exactly right. And it was also the ancient grain. It was sure. the einkorn kind of wheat. It wasn't the modern GMO wheat. When you look at an Egyptian mummy, and I'm not talking about just the royalty of the Egyptian. I'm talking about from the top to the bottom. They all have coronary artery disease, and they all have terrible teeth. And and even the, a lot of the Egyptian statues, the the men will have man boobs and will have a little belly pooch. Yeah. That yeah. was considered part of Egyptian culture. You're going to have bo- man boobs. You're going to have a little pooch. If you eat all of that grain and all of those fruits, you're going to have fatty liver. You're going to have man boobs. You're going to have high estrogen. You're going to have low testosterone. 
that it, this is i mean it's there in the so, record you can't you, argue with this stuff have you read the work then uh at a protein power of uh dr michael eads and mary da- dr mary oh, yeah. eads on the curse of the mummies because yeah, that's exactly yeah. what you're talking about there and i Absolutely. think the way dr eads put it one of the two whichever one's writing on that page of the book was that a modern nutritionist would have considered the diet of the egyptians a nirvana exactly and, and yet we can look and and because they were so good at preserving things we can see exactly the health these people were in, and I guess that's why they were building giant pyramids to memorialize themselves because they knew they weren't going to live that damn long. <laughs> yeah, and, and this this went, and a lot of people say, oh, well, it was just the upper crust that got mummified, and they probably ate a lot of meat, and that's absolutely not the case. The everybody from the middle class up was mummified back then, and we found thousands of mummies. And you used to could buy a mummy; there were so many of them. But that we obviously <laughs> frown on that now. But but yeah, if you if you do a coronary artery calcium scan, if you do a CAT scan of these guys, their their arteries are terrible. If you look at their dentition, so if you look at a at a, a skeleton at yeah. a at a skull from fifty thousand years ago, there's never a cavity. Huh. Their teeth are beautiful. They're the last thing to go, aren't they, they? I mean, even when we find like limited right. remains, remains like well, the skull is pretty much decomposed, we still find teeth. That's right, and they're always pristine. There's never been any sign of a of a dental abscess or a, a maxillary <laughs> infection, which there would be in the fossil record if that had happened. Sure. But when, then when you compare that with the Egyptians who ate exactly the diet that your dietitian and nutritionist tries to get you to eat. Their dentition is not only are their teeth just whittled off from chewing on all this bread and all the sand in it, but there's obvious signs of dental abscesses, of cavities. These guys were miserable. They were sick. They were fat. They had heart disease. The first reported instance in recorded history of a heart attack was an Egyptian, and they wrote that down. They actually described his symptoms in perfect detail before Hmm. he died. Hmm. You know, and, and the, the people that just say eat whole ahead, foods, yeah. the people that just say eat whole foods, this shoots holes right through it because there were no right. high fruit. I mean, I'm not going to say that it doesn't make it worse when we add high fructose corn syrup, processed foods, you know, refined mm-hmm. flours, etc. to the mix. I'm not saying it doesn't make it worse, yeah. but there were no processed foods in Egypt at the time we're exactly. discussing. It did not exist the whole 30 nirvana is what that would have been, except I think whole 30 is a little better about getting rid of some of this stuff. Um, but just the idea of just eating whole foods, that alone destroys that argument. I totally agree. And there are so many people out there who just don't know that. They don't, they don't realize that this is not, it, it's not some mysterious cloud back then. We can actually know for a fact what these people ate. And the people who ate lots of fatty meat, had beautifully strong bones, and you, there's even people out there who say if you eat too much animal protein, it'll give you osteoporosis, which is just ignorance. Asinine. It's just ignorant, right? You it can't. Is. There's not another word for that. But when you start eating lots of whole grains and lots of fruits, which is what we're advised to do today, you get sick. You become insulin resistant. You become pre-diabetic. You develop man boobs. You develop that that little beer belly, and you get sick and you die early. So one of the things I watched recently was called Sugar, the Bitter Truth. I don't know if you've had a chance to review that, but the I believe he's, a, he's either a, an MD or a PhD that gives this lecture, explains how, how toxic fructose is in the body. And he's not even just talking about H, HFCS, right? He's talking about fructose, period. Like if you eat lots of fruits that ha, and, and, and whatnot that have high amounts of fructose in it, 
And when I listened to the scientific explanation, he basically explained that your body has to process fructose the exact same way it processes alcohol. Now, unless you're just trying to kill yourself, humans, even humans that use alcohol for social uses, etc., understand that like if I drink too much of this, it will kill me. We accept that it is a toxin, and we use it recreationally, and we limit it. No one seems to think that's necessary when they're eating apples and oranges, and then worse, drinking apple juice and orange juice. Because now we've just we've removed the fiber and we've put pure fructose in the body. And, and I get yelled at by my own audience when I refer to fructose as a toxin. You're the MD. Yeah. You're the one that's done all this research. Am I full of shit, or is fructose a freaking toxin to the human body? Yeah, fructose in too high of an amount. And also, there's there's many people who would argue that seasonal fructose may have actually served a survival purpose sure. in the past, and that's a that's a valid argument because in the late summer and fall, when when winter's coming, you want to put on five or ten pounds of fat if you live in the wilderness. Sure. You want that before the winter comes, so you don't starve to death and you don't freeze to death. Fructose is the perfect food for helping you store fat in your liver for helping you store fat in your pancreas, and then for storing fat in your viscera, in your gut. Fructose is metabolized by a completely different pathway than glucose. And so when you eat an apple, you're getting sucrose, which breaks down into glucose and fructose. That's what you're getting. And the fructose has to go down a completely different metabolic pathway. Now, if you have an occasional apple, I don't think that's a big deal. But if you're eating multiple servings of fruit a day because that's what your nutritionist told you to do, you are asking to develop fatty liver. You are, and, and, and actually you can wind up with liver failure from sure. drinking too much fruit juice. You literally can. Now, Coca-Cola with its high fructose corn syrup is obviously the breast milk of Satan. There's no doubt about that. Okay. <laughs> it is terrible for you. But orange juice is not better. If you took some vitamin C and sprinkled it in Coke, is it now, is it now a healthy drink? No. No, No. that's what orange juice is, okay? All these magical phytonutrients that we're told about in no way compensate for the the, the toxic load of fructose that you get when you drink that 8 or 12 or 16 ounces of orange juice. And Jack, you're you're about my age. You remember back when you were a kid, when you'd go to a restaurant and order orange juice, what would they bring you? They brought, it was like a two-ounce Yeah, glass, it was about two to four right? ounces. It looked like the cup your dentist gave you to rinse yes. your mouth with. I mean, that's And you're like, what, well, that's all I get? And, and your parents would say, yeah, that's all you get. Right, because we yeah, we'd and there was a reason for that. Juice into kids, yeah. and, and even and, 50 years ago, they knew better than that. Sure, and we've now been brainwashed into thinking that man, you should you should eat lots of whole wheat bread and just chug a lug the the OJ or the apple juice or whatever, and that is a recipe for fatty liver. And for the, even worse than fatty liver is fatty pancreas, which you don't hear about a lot. Mm. But that is a huge red flag. You're about to become a, a type 2 diabetic, and that's the last thing to come. Well, and so my view of this is even with the kind of, let's, let's say, um, acceptance of fruit and fructose um, as a survival mechanism, you're talking about a time when if I'm a hunter-gatherer or even a primitive kind of horticultural society, I know that as winter's coming, I'm going to go without food significantly, and I'm certainly going to go without fat for a period yes. of time, right? 
So since I know that's going to happen, eating this fructose-based, you know, seasonal yield, putting fat on my body, or possibly in the spring, putting fat back on my body that I've leaned out makes sense. But they don't close the grocery store in January, right. do they, right? So we no. don't actually have the need to put on 20 pounds of fat once a year to get through a lean period anymore. So we have to be really careful with it. Now, I agree with you. I think occasional fruit, especially, like, I'm still fat. I'm still losing weight. I have no business eating an apple at this point in my life. When you're at exactly. weight and you're healthy, can you eat an apple occasionally? Especially, sure. like, after you've worked out or after a long hike as part of recovery, it might be beneficial for that. I'm big. I agree with uh, Mark Sesson on that a lot. But that's how you would, if you're being a responsible user of alcohol, that's how you would drink. Only a maniac would intentionally get a significant portion of their daily calories from alcohol. It can be done. There are people who do it. And then sure. they end up dying of cirrhosis and they can't get a liver transplant because they're labeled an alcoholic and we don't want to waste a good liver on them. Unless you're Mickey Mantle, yes. then you can buy one, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so to me, like that, when you say, well, I'm going to eat lots of fruit, what you're saying is I'm going to get a significant portion of my calories. And that's totally different from occasionally having an apple to me. The other thing with this, I've heard you say in your videos, you know, it's only recently that we had apples as big as our head. Well, it's only right. recently that we've had apples anywhere in the world other than a tiny nation today called Kazakhstan. It's not That's that right. long ago. Exactly there right. were no apples in North America. There were no apples in any part of what we think of as Europe or Africa or Australia. One part of Asia that we today call Kazakhstan, every apple in the world has its genesis from wild fruit there. It's not only small and tart, but it didn't go anywhere else until people were like, hey, this is a source of calories we can We can use this, and that was where apples became global. So for most of human history, no human being saw an apple. It didn't exist. Their entire life. Their entire and, life, they had no and, idea what that was. Anybody outside of the tropics, not only were bananas small and not really that good tasting, but anybody outside of the right. tropics never saw a banana. So what fruits and what sources of sugar were available to you was highly regional, and there'd be some seasonality in every region. Yeah, and I think another big thing that's often overlooked is the addiction that people can have for these carbohydrates. Yeah, and so just like the alcoholic you were talking about earlier, when he stops drinking alcohol and we try to get him back on a good, healthy diet, he's been living on alcohol basically for 40 years. And you can do that. It's not fun and it's not a good way to live, but you can do it. And, and so we intervene on him. And Jack and I are like, dude, you've got to quit the alcohol here. Eat this, this pork chop. How's that alcoholic? <laughs> How's he going to feel for the next two weeks? Like dog he's going to feel if he, like crap. If, if he's bad enough, we might have that, to put him in the hospital yeah, and give absolutely. him intravenous support to keep him right. from dying of the DTs. But that doesn't That's mean give exactly him, right. That doesn't mean to give him so booze. We should, <laughs> we should say, oh man, you know what? You should have a drink a day so you don't feel so bad. No, of course not. The same thing goes with the sugar and the carbohydrate addiction that millions of people suffer with. And that's why you see, Jack, on social media, somebody be like, I tried keto and I felt like crap, so I yeah. stopped. Yeah. That was just carbohydrate withdrawals. That's all that was. Here's and what if, I hear. People, I hear I, I was using heroin and I felt pretty good day to day. And I realized heroin <laughs> right? was bad. So I quit doing right? heroin. Well, then I felt like shit. So now I'm using heroin again. Heroin yeah, makes people yeah. healthy. That's what I just yeah, this heroin, Yeah, this heroin-free diet is dumb. I had to go back <laughs> to using heroin again. That's exactly the same analogy 
that you can apply to all the fructose and all the processed carbohydrates. If you stop eating them and you crave them and you have headaches and fatigue and you have and you have nausea and you don't sleep well, that doesn't mean you should go back to eating the slow poison. That means you need to stick with it until you've broken that addiction. There's life and health and, and all these things on the other side of that. But so many people never get through that because they don't realize there's an addictive component to this. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that another problem is there's physical addiction. This is what we're talking about. There's also psychological addiction. And what I've said is yes. a lot of these people, like right now, I don't know if you know, I'm running a 40-day keto challenge. I've got people reporting numbers into me every 10 days following a, a, a regimented, veg-heavy keto diet, under 20 carbs, calculating their macros, yep. doing all that. And I've got some people uh, that are saying, well, I crave carbs. And I'm like, craving carbs does not mean you're hungry. Craving carbs right. is because you've been told you can't have something. So, like, if you – I don't know if you have <laughs> kids, but if you had a daughter and she had a, a boy that started coming around the house and you really thought he was bad news, the dumbest thing you can tell your daughter is you can't see that boy. Like I forbid it. Yeah. Oh, he just, his stock <laughs> went up. So these yep. people are focusing on what they can't have instead of what they can have. And I'm like, if I tricked you into going on a 10-day keto cruise on a cruise ship, eat all you want, all-inclusive like cruises are, but everything on yep. that cruise ship fit in a keto diet, but I didn't tell you that, there's not a time you would bitch that there's not a French fry. You would never nope, eat, you would come back you'd be like, oh my God, I can have uh, ribeye yep. and I can have eggs for breakfast. Oh, okay. And you would just eat all that. But the minute you're told you can't have something, and this is why, I don't know how you feel about this, especially in the beginning, I detest the idea of replacement therapy. Um, you know, yep. mock biscuits and stuff like that. Because one, I think you can get stupid. Like the, there's an Atkins, you know, biscuit thing that's like, you can make it in a, a coffee cup. I tried it. It's good. Yeah. It's also like 400 calories. Right. Yep. So like you eat three of those. Oh, okay. That's 1200 calories. That's probably not a good idea on top of the rest of your food, but it's like giving the heroin addict stuff to shoot up with. That's not actually heroin. And then mm -hmm. hoping the heroin addiction will go away. So I'm like, you don't need keto freaking chocolate, peanut butter milkshakes. You don't need keto chocolate cake, especially in that interim intervention phase yeah. and getting your body back in order. Totally agree. It's like so many out, drug addicts. It's, it's like hanging out with drug addicts who are shooting up while you're trying to get clean. That's exactly right. And if you go to a Narcotics Anonymous or an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, what you're what what is almost ubiquitous is they're all chewing gum and eating candy because yeah. the sugar lights up the same pleasure mm -hmm. regions of the brain as the alcohol or the drugs did. <laughs> and it's very common for them to replace one addiction with another. And that's what we don't want to happen. And that's why I recommend a real whole food ketogenic way of eating so that if you're eating anything that has more than one ingredient, stop that. I want you to eat broccoli. I want you to eat ribeye. I want you to eat eggs. They have one ingredient. There's, there's no processing. They're just what they are. Those are the real foods that human beings are supposed to eat. And when you eat those foods, I think not only do you break the, the definitely real physiological addiction, you also get over that psychological addiction, addiction, and then you start having such health benefits, both physical and mental, you're just like, dude, I feel better than I felt in decades. And you know, Jack, people don't say that. You don't say, I feel better now at 50 than I felt at 35, but I do. And when people start saying things like that, that means you're on to something.
Yeah, I agree. You just hit on something I never thought of. What everybody talks about at a, a, a Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or a, a Narcotics Anonymous is, is the bad coffee. That's the other thing. They always are drinking coffee. They go to a meeting 7.30 at night. They're drinking four cups of coffee. And it is probably right. the shitty, like, Folgers made in a crappy coffee maker. So what do people do as soon as their coffee is crappy? They fill it up with sugar. Yes. And I bet you... That if you went to, I never thought about this, but ever like even when there's a movie and they have like a, you know, the, the character is an alcoholic and he goes to AA, even then there's everybody's gathered around the table getting coffee before the, and after and during the meeting. And I bet you if you yep. went there and wrote it down, I bet you the average person's throwing two to three teaspoons of sugar in a little bitty yep. coffee cup. And I never thought about it, but I think you're dead on there. Absolutely, and that just replaces one addiction for another yeah. because we have we have PET scans that show that the pleasure regions of the brain light up almost as brightly with sugar and with grains, with processed like a muffin, or it can be two slices of whole wheat bread with almost no sugar at all added. Your pleasure centers light up, and that is that that dopamine cycle is what leads to addiction and so yeah if you've been eating the standard american garbage for 20 or 30 years you're addicted to that stuff and you are going to go through a period of withdrawal and some people they used to be called the atkins flu now it's called the keto flu but actually when cigarette smokers are quitting there is a thing called the quitter's flu and sure. it's just known among people who quit smoking you're going to feel like crap you're going to feel like you're coming down with something for a few days that is your body getting over the addiction so on that note uh, mark sisson his new book on and i haven't read it but i listened to an interview with him so i get the gist of it his new book on going to keto is a reset basically has a 30-day lead up to going into full keto to compensate for that my view is Do it and get it. Like that's not how we get people off heroin. So yeah. do you differ yeah. with that? Because I mean, I don't actually think necessarily it's bad. It just wouldn't be my first choice. I guess is a way to put it. We all have different I, things we do. I think it matters. I think it matters your personality style. Okay. And I think from listening to this this discussion, you can tell that Jack and I are bo both are rip that bandaid off kind yeah. of guys. Yeah. That's that's kind of how we live life. Yeah. Some people are not. Some people like to pull that bandaid off a millimeter at a time and take an hour to do it. I think it really matters your personality style. If you're a teetotaler, if you're a gung-ho, all-in, 100%, like Jack and I, then you just need to quit the damn carbs. Yeah. And you will break it, and you'll be done with it. Other people, I think, probably need that 30-day wean down yeah. in order for them to, to make sense of this with, with kind of their lifestyle, the way they live life. And I think some people need that. But for me, I would, I would 100% recommend just stop eating the damn carbs for a month And that's your that's your 30 day build up right there. You just yeah. did it. And you, I, I think you'll go through it a lot faster than you think. And if you just, don't, I think so too. I think some people are just a little bit too damn whiny. Some of the people in my group, well, I feel like <laughs> crap. Well, you're on day two. Yeah, you're on day yeah, two. You're yeah. supposed you're to gonna feel, feel like, like crap. crap. It's it's okay. That's right. It's, it's all right. Yep. You got to get through it. And when you get through it, you'll be better. Now, I can't say I had no reaction. I have to say that the general keto flu that, that one of the problems I think with Atkins was. He didn't warn anybody about it. When he wrote, put out his books, like he just said, just do this right. and you'll be fine, right? So nobody knew. So half the people are like, well, I don't have keto flu, right? Or whatever the hell they called it at the time, Atkins flu or whatever. Right. So it, right. it's not a thing. And then the other half of the people just felt like dog shit. And since nobody told them they were supposed to, they did what you said. They're like, oh, this is not going to work for me. And they, they quit. Yeah. And I think that might actually really screw the body because you take it off of carbs for like a week and then you plunge it back in. 
that's that's the drug addict going back and shooting up full bore. Sure. Um, but I think that's but I had some things go on like I got gout. Like you know like what the hell? Like this is something my grandfather had when he was 90. Um, now it lasted like a week and it went away right. and it wasn't classic. It didn't flare up, but I mean it's the only thing that makes sense as to what it was. I had pain in the exact spot that people get gout and it hurt bad. Um, to me, like you, you mentioned in one of your videos, you can have some uric acid issues that you yep. get through. So, okay, but you got to get through that. I also had like for about three weeks, I was breaking out with zits, like not a rash, one <laughs> at a time at some random ass part of my body. Right. Absolutely clean when I went to bed, waking up in the morning, big, giant, painful whitehead. And to me, that's possibly not keto flu, but it's possibly like, okay, you're burning a fat cell that you've been carrying around for 10 years. We store toxins in our fat. But, you know, I remember my grandmother used to say for some of her country remedies, which, you know, you know what grandmas say. It's going to get worse before it gets before better. It gets better. That's right. And I think there's yeah, something absolutely. to that, that classic wisdom. Yeah, but we've all forgotten that because we're, we're so used to being medicated now that we think that there shouldn't be a worse. It just should magically get better overnight, and it only works that way on made-for-TV specials. Real life never works that way. So what about kids, man? Because people say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to do this, but it's hard. And you, you go in their house, and they have Cheetos for the kids, and they have, you know, uh, what have you. Do kids need to be at least eating fruit and vegetables, or can kids live on a primarily a keto diet too? Oh, absolutely. And so my famous question, which my wife hates it when I say this because I say it all the time, let's go back in time 50,000 years, okay? <laughs> what, did, what did every single child on the planet eat then? They ate a meat-heavy ketogenic diet. They ate a ton of fatty meat. They ate a little bit of veg if it was in season. They ate grass seeds if they were starving to death, and that's what they did. And they obviously, it was good for them because they reproduced. If they hadn't reproduced, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. We'd be extinct. And so when you look at the ancestral common sense of it, it's like, well, duh. Yeah, of course it's good for kids. Children are made of protein and fat. That's what children are made of. There is no part of a child that's magically made of a carbohydrate. Kids have a liver, and there's a process in the liver called gluconeogenesis, which means that if some cells in your body need glucose, your liver can immediately supply that demand by gluconeogenesis. Your child, whether it's a newborn baby or a 100-year-old man or woman, if they need glucose, their liver can make it instantly to feed the cells in the body that need glucose. As and long so as you're getting adequate kid, protein. As long as you're getting fat and protein, that the, there, are, there are fatty acids that are essential for human life. If you don't yeah. eat them, you will get sick, you will suffer, and you will die. die. There are essential amino acids and proteins that you have to eat or you will get sick, you will suffer, and you will die. <laughs> there is not a single essential carbohydrate starch, sugar, there is no such thing. If I locked Jack Spierko in a room and fed him nothing but ribeye, eggs, and beef liver for the rest of his life, not only would he be muscular and, and skinny and sexy and smarter than he already is, he would live a long damn time and he would not suffer in any way because I, I, I'm giving him every essential nutrient that he needs in that diet. And that's why, like, you know, people talk about vegan diets and it's like, I don't recommend it, but you can do it. But you really have to work hard to get sufficient yes. combinations of vegetarian protein or vegetable protein if you're full-on vegan, which is just, to me, it's gone full retard, um, because of those essential amino acids. And 
we so the body can make some amino acids if it doesn't have them, but yes. there are some that it cannot it cannot synthesize. Right. It can't make it, and it has to be consumed or you'll die. And I, I got a bunch of shit recently because I post. I don't, I'm sure you've seen the memes with Crowder where it says you know something something changed my mind, and I put there yeah. is there is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate changed my mind. Right, and people were flipping their shit over it, but. You got a lot of emotion, but you didn't get any uh, no. facts, did you? No. Remember the Jillian? Exactly. You know what that makes me think of? The Jillian Michaels thing where she was all ch ch crapping on keto. And sure. my thought when I watched that, a lot of people did responses to it. And since there were so many, I didn't feel a need to. But my thought was feigned outrage is not a logical argument. When you say, well, what's that? Because that was what she was doing. She's like, what? What's that? Okay. Well, that's not, that's not refuting a fact. That's, That's just right. feigning that you're outraged by what was said. That might work on the 24-year-old the, the millennial, but it does not yeah. work on a thinking, rational person. Yeah, and that's why I said earlier, Jack, if you're upset by the, the facts of physiology and biochemistry that I'm saying, then I apologize in, in advance that my facts upset you. Yeah. But they are facts nonetheless. Human beings need protein. Human beings need fat. Human beings do not need any carbohydrates whatsoever. What about menopausal women? Do they, because that's a thing I've been through yeah. with my wife, and they get points in time where you're like, move away from me because you're radiating heat. <laughs> right? Um, like, right. And you're going crazy. So I'm going to go have, uh, go outside and cut the grass. Um, yeah. Can they benefit from this? Because uh, as an no, aside, one of the absolutely. things, my, my wife and I have noticed this, like she's past that, so it's a little bit different, but with the body temperature, we have turned up the, the temperature on the thermostat during the summer. Like, we're running the thermostat four degrees warmer because we're not sweating all the time. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah, it's so. very common. I, and it's, it's actually so common that the ketogenic way of eating will improve a woman's hormonal situation that there's a thing called a keto baby. And actually, I've had two women in their in their late 40s or early 50s who were perimenopausal. They were already having the hot flushes and the night sweats, and they went keto. And both of them came to the clinic pissed off at me. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? They're like, oh, I'm doing great, Dr. Barry. I'm pregnant. And I'm like, I, I, well, congratulations. They're like, no, you don't understand. I thought I was done with this. And here I'm pregnant. I'm like, well, okay. But absolutely, menopausal symptoms are less severe, and they actually occur later in life when you're eating what I consider to be the proper human diet, which is lots of fatty meat and a little bit of veg. That will move all of your hormones in the proper direction, from your gender hormones to your thyroid hormones to your pancreatic hormones. All of the hormones move in the right direction when you eat the proper diet. What about the people that say that you'll lose muscle mass when you do keto? Yeah, I've not seen that in anyone. <laughs> uh, muscles, again, muscle tissue is made of protein, yeah. and it's made of uh, fat interspersed, you know, marbling in the in the in the muscle. I have never seen a muscle that was composed of carbohydrate in any form. We store some glycogen in our muscles for immediate energy use in case we have to escape from some carnivore that's trying to eat us. But as far as the muscle itself needing or requiring you to eat carbohydrates, that's ridiculous. I could, I could point you to, to five or six Instagram accounts that are, that are uh, fatty meat, heavy ketoers or carnivores 
who are jacked up, who wouldn't oh, yeah. step into a room with someone who uses steroids. So don't even go there. Yeah. These guys work out hard and they eat lots of fatty meat. And actually I noticed before I even, I, I'm, I'm 50 now and I actually have started working out when I turned 50, but before that I didn't work out at all. But every day people would accuse me after a few years on keto. Well, you must work out doc. And I'm like, no, actually I don't work out at all. I work on my farm, but I don't lift weights but I just naturally held more muscle in a more masculine distribution from eating lots of, of what I consider fatty meat heavy keto. Now, I actually think that the, the <coughs> primary reason people should you know look at exercise when it comes to lifting weights has nothing to do with weight loss or even trying to put a little – if you want to weight train for muscle mass, then that's – that's fine. Go ahead and do that. And there's certain sports sure. you know you might compete in where you really need more muscle mass. But I think the main benefit from – uh, weightlifting and other exercise is it's probably somewhat hormonal, but it's it's a lot of it's emotional and it's mental and it's stress relief because you're probably better Absolutely. off you know doing like 30 minutes of light weight training than choking the shit out of the person at work that pissed you off and both of them will relax you. The thing is, you won't get arrested for the first one. <laughs> Being physically active is is good for the human body and the human mind. In hundreds of ways, there's no question about that. So, um, what do you got coming up next? What you, where are you going next with this? Well, uh, like I said, we moved to Nashville, and I'm working on opening a small medical practice here. Uh, I, Nisha is about one month from having our our first child together, a uh, little boy, and uh, she's been predominantly keto the entire pregnancy. And everybody's blown away at how healthy she is and how healthy the the the, the soon to be newborn is. As soon as she has that baby <clears throat> and we get situated, we're going to be traveling and speaking. Uh, we've got gigs lined up in Omaha, Nebraska, in Croatia, in the Philippines. We're going all over trying to help people understand what the pure, proper human diet is. I'm working on a second book called Common Sense Keto reversing type 2 diabetes and uh that's i think that's going to be a very helpful book for a lot of people if you've watched any of my youtube videos you know that i firmly believe that type 2 diabetes is a self-inflicted condition it is basically decades of chronic carbohydrate overdose that's what causes it and when you go keto and lower the carbohydrates enough you reverse your type 2 diabetes my last a1c was 5.3 and I told you earlier, it used to be 6.1. I didn't do that with pills or injections. I did that by eating the proper human diet. Also, Lies My Doctor Told Me just came out in the audible version. And if anybody used to <clears throat> listen to Jack's podcast back when he was in the car, you know that listening to an audible book is so much easier because you can actually do other things while mm -hmm. you listen. So it's out on audible now, and I'm very proud of that. And uh, wherever you buy your books from, you can get the Audible version and listen to it while you're being productive doing something else. Awesome, man. I've always said audio is the most powerful form of marketing because it is the only form where a person can multitask and consume it. Yep. A person can be on the Absolutely. treadmill at the gym. They can be out in the garden. They can be taking a walk. They can be driving to work. They can be on vacation driving to another state, and they can consume yep. audio. So that's awesome. So what are your thoughts on uh, the potential for ketogenic diets and ketones in general uh, for the prevention and possibly treatment of Alzheimer's disease. Um, the, more I learn, the more I learn, yep. the more I see a reason to do this beyond just weight loss. And the research 
is so compelling that it almost yes. seems criminal that there's <laughs> resistance to it to me because it's such a, like being having been through this with my father-in-law it is such a <clears throat> cruel disease it is one of the cruelest diseases because yes. often it takes the physical only at the very end and so the mind Absolutely. has been destroyed over five <clears throat> years and yet the body only really starts to break down in the last year so like my father-in-law did not have type 2 diabetes But he may have had what they're yeah. calling type 3 diabetes now, which is basically That's exactly right. <laughs> what I'm understanding from the research is that individual organs can basically become what I, I think you and I would agree with the way we should phrase this could be called diabetic. Right. Because Absolutely. I don't even like calling type 2 diabetes diabetes. Uh, to no, me, I agree. It really should have another name. I totally agree with that. But that's that's the convention we went with. So we're going to have to use it. But you're exactly right. It, the, the physiology of type 2 diabetes is not in any way similar to type 1 diabetes. And that's very confusing to people. But it's also very confusing to doctors. Many doctors will say, oh, you've got type 2 diabetes. Your pancreas has burned out as if it doesn't make insulin anymore. Hmm. And they'll put a type 2 diabetic on insulin, which is completely inappropriate. And it's malpractice, in my opinion, because if you check that person's fasting insulin level and their C-peptide level, two ways of actually measuring how much insulin their pancreas is making, their pancreas is working triple time. It's mm -hmm. making way more insulin than they should be making because they're eating so many extra carbohydrates. And then we get to dementia, all of them, and especially Alzheimer's. For about the last 10 years, Alzheimer's researchers and neurologists have been considering Alzheimer's dementia type 3 diabetes or, or diabetes of the brain. Basically, as you get older, your brain cannot burn glucose for energy anymore. And so even though you're eating tons of carbs and you're making your body pre-diabetic, Your, your brain's not able to utilize that glucose anymore, but it can still burn ketones. And, and more and more research, there's actually a couple of great books about this out. And then more and more research is actually now being done as maybe we should feed these guys who have early dementia symptoms a high healthy fat diet so that their brain can burn these ketones. And I 100% agree with that. I think that, 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 that the Alzheimer's epidemic that we're currently suffering from is just another symptom of the, the slow poison carbohydrate overdose that we're feeding our population. Well, I, I agree. And I think that like, so some of the stuff I've looked at includes like taking uh, early, early stage Alzheimer's where they say it's like cognitive impairment. It's not actually Alzheimer's, but they know it really is going to be. And they just right. simply supplement these people with MCT oil. And they have noticeable improvements. The bigger thing, though, is they do brain scans, and they can look at the brain and see here's a normal brain, and here's how much glucose it can take in. And here's this person with cognitive impairment, and they can't take in as much glucose. But when they look at ketones, that brain can still take in ketones. And it's conclusive, yeah. and it's repeat. Like, to me, you want – like, people make claims all the time that they're anecdotal. If you want me to take something as fact, not possible, but fact, it has to be proven scientifically – And then replicate it, or I'm I'm yes. out. Like it's it's possible, but it's not proven until it can be done and repeated. That's the actual scientific method. That's actual settled science, right? Not somebody's opinion. Exactly. And exactly. When I see that, and they say, well, it doesn't always work really great, but it always seems to do something. My thought is, well, then not ending up with the condition in the first place should work even better.
Absolutely agree. Absolutely. And it, so many people are in nursing homes right now and, and assisted living conditions that could literally come home and be a part of the family again and be able to impart all the wisdom that they've gleaned over their decades of life if we just fed their brains the fatty acids and the ketones that it needs in order to function properly. So I want to end here with one place that I disagree with what you say. I try not to make my show a debate show, but there is a claim that you make that I have a completely different opinion on, and I, I don't know that I actually disagree, and maybe I disagree with the way you're saying it, and maybe you can clarify it. And I watch okay. one of your videos, and so many people in the keto world and low-carb world say this, that calories don't matter. I find yeah. that to be absolutely provable wrong by science. Repeated, replicated, just like I said earlier. And I'll give you my big problem with it. Because I listen to your entire video, I agree with all of the substance, which is, well, how many calories are in this particular piece of meat? You can't actually calculate... 100% what this is. What is your actual BMR? We can only guess at it. I, I get that. This calorie is different in how it is, it is processed than this calorie because this one has a higher thermal load. I agree with 100% of that. My problem with the claim that they don't matter is this. There are a great number of people that if they go on a keto diet, they are going to naturally moderate their intake of food. When they start eating you know, 20, 25, 30% protein, majority fat, 5% carbohydrate, their appetite's going to, and they are going, yep. they're going to have to force themselves to eat enough at some point. There's a yep. big portion of people who do that. And they create this success story that I ate all I want and I lost weight. There are people who will eat 32 ounces of prime rib. There are people who will say, oh, gee, look at these cheese crisps that are made from pure cheese. I can eat a whole bag, and it's only five carbohydrates. And they will shove down 2,000 calories of just cheese crisps. And if you tell right. people specifically that have lived over a decade seriously obese that they can have as much food as they want, they will eat it. And you can't <laughs> show me a conclusive study And I, I get, we can't be sure it's exactly 6,000 calories, but we can get a decent estimate where a person who's probably burning around 2,500 calories can consume 6,000 calories and lose weight, much yet sustainably lose weight down to a good target weight. So when people like you say calories don't matter, I think you can be right, but I also think if you leave it there and you don't explain what I just did, you're wrong. Now, if you can show me, Ken... Studies that show a person shoving down 6,000 calories without spending four hours in the gym and having giant Thomas DeLore arms on them, and that person <laughs> loses and maintains weight at, a, at ideal weight, then I'll believe you. But until then, yeah. you could call it portion control, but you, I, I really wish you guys that are well-known for this would stop giving the, the, the belief to people that they can literally hog down like they're at a smorgasbord buffet and still lose weight, because I don't think it's the real deal. I don't think you can do that. Yeah, I think that you're right and, and you're wrong. But I okay. think you and I mainly agree on this. If you are, if you're wolfing down processed things like cheese crisp and it's 100% cheese, but it's also been processed at the factory, then I think you can well, agree But before you continue, things. let me clarify. I think if you eat 6,000 sure. pounds, 6,000 calories of prime rib, you are yeah, not going to lose And that's carnivore and you don't touch anything else. I still don't think you're going to sustainably lose weight. Yeah, and that's where we do definitely disagree, and here's why. 
there are actually guys who have done this experiment on themselves and written it up where they've eaten 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. One guy was even trying to stuff 10,000 calories a day of just meat, and nobody could make themselves gain weight. Now, they may have stalled their weight loss. There we go. That's a, completely, that's a completely different thing than getting fat by eating fatty meat. I don't think that it's physically possible, and here's why. The calories, I, I get your point that they, they somehow they got to matter. But the problem is, is that fat loss, that's what we're all going for. We don't want to yep. lose bone. We don't want to lose muscle. We don't want to lose liver. We want to lose fat. And fat loss and fat gain is 100% a hormonal issue. It's about insulin. It's about glucagon. It's about human growth hormone. It's about testosterone. It's about estrogen. It's about the thyroid hormones. When you're eating a diet that is a proper human diet, whether it's fatty meat carnivore or whether it's veg-heavy keto, you are moving all those hormones in the right direction. And you're right. People who eat a, a high-fat diet do tend to become satiated sooner. Mm -hmm. And if you track them, you would probably find that they were consuming fewer, car fewer calories now than they did in the past. The reason I'm so anti-calorie is because – Counting calories as a strategy for fat loss has abjectly failed us. You can't you can't argue that. I mean, no. all the calories and I think if you count all that, if you count calories as an as a singular methodology for losing weight, it probably will yep. lead to failure. And if it you doesn't, will it will That's lead right. to misery. But yep. and what I'm really trying to do, Jack, is I'm trying to shift the paradigm away from calories. And so do calories matter 10%, 20%? Maybe. But what matters, and you and I both, we always focus on the 80% or the 90%. Where, mm -hmm. where can you get 80% of the benefit? And that's from getting your hormones optimized by eating a proper human diet. And when you eat lots of ribeye and lots of bacon and lots of eggs and throw a little veg in there, if you think that's part of your proper human diet, you are hacking all of your hormones in exactly the right way to maximize fat loss. Now, if you calorie restrict globally, you might lose weight, but included in that is going to be some muscle loss, and included in that is going to be some decrease in bone density. Those things will show up on the scales as weight loss, but in reality, nobody wants to lose muscle or bone or liver. We want to See, lose fat. I agree and with fat that. fat is 100%. And so let me give you this quick example. If you took a 9-year-old boy and a 9-year-old girl and had them face away from you, yep. you could not tell the boy from the girl by looking at them. And so they could eat the same exact whatever, and they look exactly the same. When that boy is 16 and when that girl is 16, mm -hmm. you look at them from the back, not, not counting their hair and makeup or anything else, yep. just their body fat composition, you can immediately tell the boy from the girl because of the way fat is distributed on their body. What causes the fat to go to the, to the girl's buttocks? What causes the muscle to go to the boy's shoulders? That's not calories in or out that's hormones it's testosterone estrogen and all the other hormones working in symphony and and but but the genetics you can even override the genetics by giving the boy estrogen and giving the girl sure. testosterone absolutely you can make them hold their fat yep. differently and so and with that being said 
You can't tell me, oh, if this girl, if she restricted her calories just right, she wouldn't get that fat and he he would get the fat. No, no, it's no. it's 100 percent the hormones. And that's what I want people to come to understand that they, even if the, ca- the calories count 20 percent, I don't care. I want to focus on where do we get 80 percent of the benefit for, for our effort. So and that's well, hold the on hormones. Now. So let me and tell the, you when I pay sure. attention to the 20 percent. When I have a person that starts at 270 pounds and needs to weigh about 180 to be healthy, and they come down from 270 to 240 pounds and they stall butt cold, it's time to look at the 20%. And I agree with you. I think a person, let's say that guy's already 180, he's active, he's fit, he's healthy, he probably doesn't need to really worry that much about calories, and he probably will never overeat enough on a ketogenic diet to gain weight. That person that's still 250 pounds, that's carrying 60 to 70 extra pounds of body fat, the body is very greedy with its fat reserves, right? So if that person's consuming 1,000, 2,000 calories in excess of what they burn a day, it is going to be difficult, if not impossible, for that person to lose weight. But if they've heard somebody who's right 99.9% of the time tell them (laughs) calories don't matter, that will be right. that 20% will be the last place that they will go to correct that problem and that's my problem with not just you I'm not picking on you no I get that's it that's my I problem I, I get it and, and I think this all comes this all started with Atkins and when I learned what he cited as proof it was the dumbest thing I ever heard it was a study where women were put in a trial low carb high carb calorie restricted diet and the low carb women were given a thousand calories, and the high 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 pro uh, the the high high carb women were given a thousand calories. So it's basically right. an Atkins versus um, carbohydrate, yep. but restricted. They both lost weight. The women on the, the what we'd call like a keto light Atkins style keto went and lost a little bit more weight. When he did the math right. forward and said, well, if they had been if they had been fed two thousand calories. They still would have lost weight, and none of these women, based on these parameters, would be thought to have able to lose weight at 2,000 calories. So there's a metabolic advantage, and therefore, thou can eat as many calories as thou chooses if thou stays under 21 carbohydrates a day. And I find that statement to be asinine. I'm sorry, because it will... No, I agree with you. that He he basically tried to draw a conclusion that he didn't have the the evidence to draw. I totally agree with you. So I, I wish you guys would be like when you even if you want to say that that you do explain there has to be some level of portion control whether it comes from natural moderation or you know like choosing to control it and one way we can at least figure kind of out what portions are is a, cal- a caloric estimation because I, I I'm back to if you're 250 pounds and 80 pounds overweight and you're shoving down 6,000 calories somewhere in that journey you're gonna stop. And you're going to have to rein those in. The, the reason I think keto works so much better is, one, the metabolic hack. We agree a thousand percent on that. But, two, if you try to calorically restrict, especially an obese person who begins to lose weight and they're eating high carbohydrates, the cravings will drive them insane. Yes. You might eat, you know, a thousand calorie meal on keto. And when you first finish that meal, you might, especially if you're accustomed to shoving food in, feel like I could, I'm still hungry, I could eat more. If that person sure. will wait 15 minutes after they eat, that feeling will just go away. I mean, right now I'm on a 
uh, hour intermittent fasting schedule. I don't, I, I have 19 hours between my dinner and my lunch Lunchy. fast, I call it, right? And I, yep. like, at lunch, I'm like, yeah, I, I could eat, but I don't have to eat. If I try, right. I, I believe if I tried to do that with a whole grain diet, I would be ready to kill somebody two hours before I ate. I would be clawing. Oh, well, you absolutely down. would. Yeah, you'd be hangry. There's no doubt about that. So, so do you and get where I'm coming from with this? You, yeah, I totally get it. But I think it's all, I think you and I are both have our hands on the elephant, but I'm touching yeah. the trunk and you're touching the tail. That's okay. all this is. But I think, but, and so just you, for example, you're calorie restricting, but you're not hungry. Why are you not hungry? Because you are moving all your hormones in the proper direction Correct. by eating enough fat. Correct. Therefore, turning off the hunger signal, but you're not counting calories, and you don't have to count calories. But I do. You're, you're, no, I, I absolutely but, but, do, but I don't. But you don't have to. I don't get nuts about it, but, well, no, I do, because I'll tell you right now. I am the person that if you tell me that, and I believe that in the past, I've said it myself, calories don't matter. I will yep. add six ounces of pepperoni to my lunch. I will use <laughs> eight tablespoons of blue cheese dressing instead of two. Yeah. Right. I well, will I'll tell you add, what we can do. I will add, you know, five tablespoons of olive oil sure. instead of right. one. Right. I will jack right. my calories up by 1,500 calories if I don't pay attention to it. My yeah. wife, on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, you know, you're so under. Even with keto, you're going to kill your metabolic rate. Like you are not like I got to make her eat, and I I don't do it like oh geez oh god I went over 50 calories I'm going to die now I don't do that, but I sanity right. check with an app, and if I'm gonna, if it's going to push me 500 calories over man I okay well then uh, half an avocado today, and if I don't what do that, your, go ahead. What's your calculated What's your calculated calorie expenditure a day roughly? What What do you calculate it at about, that about you need for 2,400, right? 2,400. Okay, let's do this. When you finish this challenge you're doing now, let's yep. you and I do a month-long challenge of eating 5,000 calories a day of just <laughs> fatty meat, nothing else but fatty meat, 5,000 calories a day for 30 days, and let's see if we can make you, since we're going to be doubling your caloric requirement, mm -hmm. let's see if we can make you gain weight in those 30 I won't, days. I won't do that until I am down to my ideal weight. <laughs> I, I won't. Okay. I won't do right. that. What you know? Because I need to be about 185 to 190 pounds. That's that's a good way for sure. me. I'm sitting at sure. 223 pounds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm not going to do if that. Five thousand calories a day, you would lose weight, and that would shoot the calorie theory right between the eyes. And that's what I'm trying to do. You, know, you can find somebody else willing to, to experiment with that. Because <laughs> um, I'm sorry, like I have seen it shoot down people's it, it works and that convinces them that it works and they hit that plateau yeah. and they won't go there and they they end up falling off now i absolutely agree you might be able to do that when you're at a good ideal weight your body's humming along and you might not gain weight but then you got to figure out where it goes so i'm back to science and i'm back to every <laughs> credible study i have done has shown no more than the body capable of eliminating three to five percent of nutrient that it takes in. So those th that energy, call it whatever you I don't care if you call it a calorie, that's just the way we measure it. That energy sure, sure. either you have to shit it out or your body must do something with it. And if it is in excess that's of true. what you're doing, then it can only yep. go one place. If it's beyond you got structural things that your body needs to do, 
Uh, you've got your, your functionality of your body actually moving and breathing and uh, what have you. And then there is nothing left after we've used that energy to build stuff and to make stuff and to run stuff than to store stuff. So then we yeah. got to figure out where, and, it, and if somebody can like, I don't want to do the study, but if somebody analyzes poop and pee and figures out, <laughs> hey, look, this guy ate 5,000 calories of ribeye and he excreted 2,000 calories, 3,000 calories of it, and then mm. somebody else can <clears throat> re re reproduce that, I'll buy in. But you got to show no, me saying. science, right? And if I don't see sure. science, yeah. then all I hear is an opinion, even a good opinion I like totally yours. I totally understand. Yeah? Yeah, I all totally right. understand. And there is there is other science that we could talk about, and I'd have, be happy to come back and we could, we yeah. could hash out the calorie thing because I think it's a valid argument to have. But in the end, what you and I both are trying to do is help people be healthier. Correct. And they're going to be healthier Correct. by eating lots of fatty meat and a little bit of veg, and that's keto. No, I agree. And I think, like I said, I think a shitload of people, they're, they're going to moderate their intake. It's just going to happen. I just, I'm telling you, man, like, I don't know if you've read Dr. Greg Ellis's work, but he was doing this stuff, yeah. like, back when Atkins was promoting high protein. He was like, no, 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 man. It's got to be high fat. Uh, this guy's a PhD. Yep. He's like 88 years old now, and he's built like a brick shithouse. I mean, yeah, just amazing. True trailblazer. And yes. he was the one that got on to me with that. He's like, no, you can't just eat as much as you want, especially if you're already fat. Like, And so, again, I, I don't want to beat this up. And I'll tell you, if you will send me research that I can verify – I will be the first person to go, Jack Spierko is wrong. Eat all the ribeye you want, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. I don't want to prove you wrong, Jack. I just want to make everybody healthy. I want you to prove me wrong because I want, right, to be <laughs> well, able to. don't think I'm not going to be sending you some stuff, Jack. All right, man, you send be. it on over and I'll look at it. But the important thing is I think people should get their ass over to YouTube and click on your bell. So like you said, whenever you have a bright idea, they'll know about it. And subscribe to your YouTube channel. I think they should get your book. Um, I, I, there's one more thing I actually want to talk to you about if you got just a few more minutes. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Righteous indignation. So I'm starting to feel the Dr. Barry vibe on the anger, right? When I had you on the show right. last time, we talked about lies. And I said, yeah. if a doctor tells you something and they really believe it, is it still a lie? And you, I could tell you got pissed. Right. Like you held it in, but you were pissed. And you're like, basically, yes, because it's their responsibility to know better in right. your videos, especially when you're talking about type two diabetes and stuff like this. I am hearing more and more underlying anger. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. Building up at the medical establishment, because I'll put it this way. The other meme I put out was that Ansel Keys has blood on his hands. I think the guy yes, might have definitely. killed as many people as freaking Hitler did. Honestly. Yes. Right? Exactly. And this is not just a problem. This is, in my opinion, I'd love to hear your, word, your thought on this word. This is a crime being committed yes. on the modern society, America, but the modern Western world. In fact, even the developing world is being fed this gruel diet. And I think yes. it's killing people and costing their hands, their feet, their fingers, their toes, their hearts, their kidneys, etc., Absolutely. I, I, and that's the that's why I do what I do, Jack, is because so many people are being misled by well-meaning healthcare providers, by dietitians and nutritionists. I was on Twitter yesterday and the American Heart Association posted a video 
And it's it was a breakfast recipe made of oats, honey, bananas, and it threw in a few nuts. The American <laughs> Heart Association, right? And like this is this would be probably a hundred grams of simple carbohydrate. Anybody who's pre-diabetic or type two diabetic or type one diabetic, this is going to spike their blood sugar through the roof, and their and their insulin's going to be right behind it in the high blood sugar and the high insulin are going to be doing damage and causing inflammation all over these people's body. And the damn American Heart Association <laughs> put this out there. And so obviously, you know, I, I retweeted that with a with a pithy <laughs> quote. And but what was funny, Jack, is you and I were getting traction. People are hearing us. Yeah. There yeah. was about a hundred comments of people saying, "Yeah, if I wanted to be diabetic, I should eat that." Yes, and yeah. people don't maybe don't get this because they're not a doctor, but diabetes is the leading cause. High blood sugar and high insulin levels are the most important cause of heart attack and stroke. It ain't your total cholesterol or your LDL. No, those things. The LDL is not even calculated in the American Heart Association's risk calculator. It doesn't even take that into consideration. It's your triglycerides and your blood sugar and your insulin level. That's what's going to cause you to have a heart attack and a stroke. And for these doctors, these MDs and PhDs to be putting this kind of bullshit out there saying, hey, this is how you're healthy, that's a crime, I, 100%. And I've, I've intimated a time or two, when are the class action lawsuits mm. against the American Heart Association and the American Diabetic Association, when, when are the lawsuits going to begin? Because I think there are enough people now that are, that are woke who are like, what's wrong with you? How are you even possibly putting that out there as a healthy breakfast? You're going to cause people to have a heart attack, and you're the American Heart Association. Do you do realize that one of the obstacles here is a, basically a multi-trillion dollar restructuring of the global economy? That, that oh, is definitely. The That's what we're yeah. trying to move, and I'm not even talking about drugs. <laughs> I, I'm not. Yeah, you and I. I'm not including you and I are Merck, David. Right? Yes. Like, if, if the right. average this American big food, big pharma, big yeah. government and big medicine, if, if we are a bunch of little Goliaths going up against multi, I mean, little David's going against yeah. multiple multi-billion dollar corporate Goliaths. That's exactly what's happening here. And that's why I keep telling people this is you're not going to change this from the top up, down. That's mm -hmm. never going to happen. Never is the federal government going to say, you know, should probably cut back on the carbs. That's never going to happen because if they said that one sentence, there would be billions of dollars lost by big food and then big pharma. It would, be, yep. it would just be a cascade of businesses going bankrupt because they're built on the high-carbohydrate, slow-poison model of nutrition. And so, yeah, we're fighting some big, big giants here, but I think that you and I both have heard the bell ring. We can't unhear that, and no. we know it's our moral and ethical duty Yes. To say, hey, man, step away from the carbs. Well, and so the other side of that is a multi-billion acre land repurposing, right? And yep. it, it, this concept we have to grow corn to feed a cow is stupid. Cows eat grass. Yep. So we're That's talking right. about, you know, oh, I, I don't, I never did the number, but I guarantee it's over a billion acres that need to be oh, turned easily. from soybean and corn fields into Back basically into a civo pasture style, which would be the best thing in the world for the environment. Of course, they're saying the exact exactly. opposite about that. Like, like, the, yeah. like we were really worse off with 50 million bison uh, managing our prairie system than we are today. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's, yeah. that's the we cause actually, of global warming. Sure, it is. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> we actually couldn't have picked a more uh, asymmetrical battle than we've picked. Yeah, 
but it is the battle that we've picked, and I think it is a very moral and ethical battle to fight. And and I'm sure you would say the same thing. Though the heavens fall on my head, I will speak the truth, and I will not be silenced unless I am literally silenced. I can profess no more to to, to believe that which I do not than I can possess, uh, you know, uh, than I can claim to not believe that which I do. Like there, there's no That's way right. around that. Uh, if you're a moral and ethical person, I think that's the case. Um, and I, I, when you when you were talking about your, your video where you did kind of the it was like ninja level snark or something, and you were like basically <laughs> right? like obviously they like talking about all the stupid reasons uh, that you were wrong about keto and nobody should ever do keto, and you were talking about like Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers. What I was thinking and why I think this fight is winnable as stacked as the deck is, is I can find. Thousands and thousands of people on social media, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Here's a picture of me before. Here's a picture of me after. Radical right. transformations. You know what? Right. Jenny Craig advertises in the millions of dollars per day on every right. major outlet of media. And I don't yep. find a single person so motivated by what Jenny Craig did for them that they're building a YouTube channel on it. Not one, but there's exactly. hundreds of successful people doing it with keto. With no, right. there's no real industry. Like the food That's industry right. is trying to be part of it, but like there's no like, you know, keto anonymous or some shit, you know, or like, uh, you know, <laughs> right. like people have tried to actually, people have tried to productize it. You know, selling ketones yes. in a bottle or something. It doesn't work. People just realize, like, oh, I eat the food and I lose weight. Like, that's, that's, that's what it. Jenny Craig says. But it actually, actually, it's keto. Yeah, like, it actually I said, works. If you can yeah. do simple math and, and, and make responsible choices, you can lose weight with keto. That's it. That's all it requires. 100%. And there, there is no multi-billion dollar corporation that, keto that Inc., right? discovered keto. That, <laughs> that didn't happen. And so these are just regular people. These are mechanics and hairdressers and people who literally have never spoken in public before, Jack, who have gotten the courage to stand up and go, dude, this worked when nothing else would work. And not only did it work, but it's sustainable. I actually like it. I'm actually, my mental health is actually better. And, and people are like changing their entire family. I know one lady asked nurse Cindy on, on Facebook and, and on other social media. She's a wound care nurse and her and her family have accumulatively lost over a ton of pounds hmm. by doing keto. And she, she's not, doesn't get paid a, you know, she doesn't get paid millions of dollars to run that ad. She's stepping up and spending her own time and money talking about this because it works. I believe it saves lives. I mean, it's just to be blunt. Yes. But. Oh, it's going to save millions of lives when we win this battle, which I think we will do. You can't argue with, with one plus one equals two for very long or you start looking stupid. And that's uh, at some point the American Heart Association is going to stop posting breakfast ideas of oats and honey and banana because they're, they, they, they're going to know everybody thinks they're stupid when they say that stuff. Well, I think that the, the odd thing is that if you talk to the average American, they doubt 90% of what the government tells them. Yes. But almost all of them have like one or two things, but they're telling the truth about this. And exactly. I think for a lot of people, it's diet. And if they lie yep. to you about everything else, then the exception to the rule doesn't make sense. So anyway, man, again, let people know how they can find out all the good stuff about you as far as your main website. 
So my website is kenbyberrymd.com, but I do the majority of my work on YouTube. If you search for Dr. Berry, I think you'll find me. And I've got a big Facebook page. I go live on every Monday night and answer questions. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. I'm on Vero and Gab and other social and TikTok, Jack, if you can believe that. I'm everywhere because there are so many people suffering that just don't know. And so if I got to get on TikTok and make stupid juvenile videos to to reach teenagers, then I'm going to do that because these guys are already getting fatty liver and prediabetes as a teenager. So, yeah, I'm going to be on there trying to say, hey, step away from the jelly donuts. They're not it's not funny. It's not cool. It's poison. Then, yeah, I'm going to be doing that. I got the book lies. My doctor told me paperback, Kindle and now on Audible working on about five other book ideas. Probably the next one to come along will be uh, reversing type 2 diabetes. And uh, I think you can tell, Jack, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to shut up because I know what I'm saying is right, and I know what I'm saying is saving people's lives who otherwise would have been lost prematurely. And so that's that, I won't ever stop doing that. Awesome, man. So are you going to do KetoCon? Are you going to be a speaker maybe at that in uh, Austin next year? Yeah, I spoke last year at KetoCon. I'll be back at KetoCon this year. We actually have an event coming up in January in Omaha, Nebraska, and I'll be back in Salt Lake City next year for that keto event, uh, low-carb, San Diego. I'm going to be everywhere because there are so many people who who desperately need this information. Well, it's in Austin uh, coming this summer, so I would appreciate your, your help and maybe finagling me, let them know about me. Maybe they uh, oh, absolutely. Throw, throw me a VIP pass, and in return I'll drag a couple hundred people in the door for them. Because uh, I, I love to go. I didn't know that was a thing. I just found it today. I'm like, hey man, I should get on down there. You know, so yeah, it's, I think it's probably the biggest keto event in the world right now. Is KetoCon in Austin, and I, I, I attended year before last, spoke last year, and I'll speak again this year. And I'm 100% for it, Jack. I'll get you in the door, and you can bring all your peeps with you. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for being with us today. And as far as uh, Ken's YouTube channel, his Instagram, all that stuff. I've got it all in the show notes. So if you're driving in the car or whatever and you're like, I didn't get to write it down, just go by, look up episode 2517 of the Survival Podcast, and all of those links will be there. And if you do not read Lies Your Doctor Told You, you won't know when your doctor's lying to you. So make sure you pick up a copy of Ken's book as well. And like you said, now it's on Audible, so you can listen to it. I know you like audio, or you wouldn't tune in. Ken, dude, thanks for being with us today, and, and thanks for an uh, incredibly insightful thing and a good-spirited debate. Always a pleasure, Jack. I'll talk to you next time. All right, and with that, we have wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. I want to remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can help support that by doing your online shopping through tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com, tspaz.com. You're probably going to buy something online the next day or two or next week or so. When you do, just go there first. If you do that, when you buy something online, you help support us in the work that we do. You can see all the cool stuff I recommend. My item of the day today is the same as my item of the day yesterday. I'll tell you why in a second. But it's Dr. Earth Premium Gold uh, All-Purpose Fertilizer. If you're growing your own food, and you should be, uh, especially if you're on a veg-heavy keto, the vegetables get expensive. Growing your own is a great way, especially the leafy greens and stuff like that. You can grow so much of that. So easy for that nutrition, uh, the micronutrients, etc. And nothing will make your garden sing better than Dr. Earth Premium Gold. Um, if I, I have a whole re- regimen. It started out with four core items, and over the years it's grown to, to eight. But if you said we're going to take all of it away from you, 
and you can only keep one, it would be this. Because even though I have a fungal inoculant that I recommend, there is a tremendous amount of beneficial uh, microorganisms and fungus in Dr. Earth. In addition to be a balanced 444 uh, macronutrient fertilizer and a ton of micronutrient as well. With just this product, you can grow a great garden. And this is a good time to give your garden a boost to finish off the fall strong or go into that extended season or into your fall slash winter garden. Uh, do not ignore your soil. Just because it did really good for you in the summer doesn't mean it's still got all of that nutrient in it. We need to remineralize and re-nutrient our soil frequently, just like our bodies. Dr. Earth is a good way to do that. Now, why did I have the same one and didn't put out a keto video today and what have you? Well, because I got a phone call real early this morning and said, Mr. Spirico, your birds are here. Come on down to the post office and get them. So I had to go down and pick up 12 new baby ducks and get them set up in their little duck tractor and get them drinking water and get them eating. And I shot a little two-minute video and put that up on the YouTube channel today. So Duck Chronicles Season 5 is now official. Uh, it probably won't have the number of episodes past seasons have because we've done most of it. But we will keep you apprised of the little ducks as they grow into little to mini ducks and to, uh, to adolescent ducks and then the teenage ducks and eventually join the flock. Uh, we picked up this time. We wanted to kind of, you know, we have rowans as our, as our primary flock. We have eight ducks and two drakes. And we got 12 new ducks so that we would have a total of 22 ducks because my wife likes the number 22. And uh, we decided to go kind of a multi-species flock just to have some fun with it. We got ourselves 12 Welsh Harlequins, and I think they're the sweetest and prettiest duck that, is, that exists on planet Earth. They are awesome. Uh, and then we also, because my wife likes runners, we got three buff runners and three chocolate runners. Uh, you can check them out at duckchronicles.com or just check out my YouTube channel. If you like this discussion on keto today, check out Dr. I, I really cannot recommend Dr. Berry. Don't think because I disagree with him on the calorie thing. That I, I, that I don't support what he's doing a thousand percent. His YouTube channel is the best source of information on ketogenics and nutrition that I have found out of everybody's. And I'm not just saying that because he's a guest. He's a guest because I'm saying that. Trust me, if I want somebody on the air, I can get them on the air. It is not hard for me to book a guest you know, on, 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 on this show. It really isn't. Uh, there's one person that's hard to get to, and uh, um, we'll talk about who that is, and maybe we can run a little campaign and get him on here. But uh, everybody else, man, if I want somebody on the air, hey, you want to be on the show? Yeah, sure, boom, done, right? So uh, I had him on because I have so much respect for his work. you got to become a subscriber to his YouTube channel. I believe this man is saving lives every day simply by speaking the truth. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I do have a song for you guys today, as always, at our song of the day at the end. And we are in the middle of Blind Singers Week. We actually are in the middle. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. Um, we have one of my favorite artists from the 80s on today, because as much as I've always kind of liked the singer-songwriter thing and the rock and the metal and all that, I have always had just an incredible appreciation for good blues music. And I know you're thinking, well, another Ray Charles song? No, 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 different kind of blues. This Jeff Healy band. And uh, this song is called River of No Return. And I don't have a big message about the song itself for you. I mean, this is, this is about the fact that sometimes when you make some decisions in life uh, of doing things maybe you shouldn't, you don't ever get a chance to go back and you have to deal with what comes because of it. But Jeff Healy, to me, what I think of is this album. 
that this song came from. Uh, I think it was called See the Light. It was released in 1988. I was in high school when this album came out. I'll tell you, like, one of the... One of the, the, the best songs when you were at a high school dance to ask a girl to dance to, to dance to with you was his song Angel Eyes that was probably the one that was the biggest hit off of this album. But it's not that album. Like, that was his breakout album that made him really, really popular. That's not where Jeff Healy really got off the ground. Many of you know where he got off the ground. It was in the uh, Patrick Swayze movie Roadhouse. He was the blind guy that played the guitar sitting on his lap behind a cage and I don't know that he really played behind cages very much but playing that guitar on his lap that way that is in fact how Jeff played the guitar Jeff was born with a rare form of cancer which is what cost him his sight and I think he was 41 or 42 years old when he eventually passed away he started out with cancer in his lungs he was an occasional but not a chronic smoker at least as far as we know But eventually, the cancer metastasized into a cancer called a sarcoma. Uh, he had multiple sarcomas removed from his legs, and he eventually lost his battle with cancer and left us far too young. And he's one of those people that I wonder what more would have come from him had he still been here. With that, remember, you don't know how long you have left. You don't know how long your dash is going to be. That hyphen they'll put between the year you were born and the year that you die. But... And just because you do the right things doesn't mean that that hyphen will get longer, but it gives it a better chance. The stuff that Dr. Barry and I talked about today is one of the best ways to try to make that dash not only longer, but the quality of it and the quality of your life better. Think about that. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. I'm burning on the